Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, amen, and happy July 4th, everybody. Hope you've got a wonderful afternoon and day ahead of you tomorrow. We'll say a prayer that as tomorrow ends, we've got all of our digits still with us. Everybody be careful with the fireworks, but uh, sure good to see you here uh, on, the, on this Lord's Day and starting your celebration off with the worship of Him. You know, as we come into July, we've got a, a lot of things going on, some exciting things. Let me tell you real quickly about two of them. Three weeks from today, we have the, uh, the baseball game at Shepherd Stadium. We've, we've bought out the stadium. Now, there's a few, you know, like season ticket holders and corporate sponsors that'll be there. But we did this last year, and we were about 95% of the crowd. Great time together as a family. The, the Chili Peppers is, is who we're going to watch. That's who plays there. They're a, a team made up of college players. They've got several from Tech, UNC, Kentucky, uh, and they're a good team. I've been to see them twice this year. They're in first place, or at least they, last I checked, they were in first place. Uh, but they're, they're doing really Really well, so we're going. It's going to be a great evening. Uh, three weeks, July twenty fourth, and uh, for a ten dollar ticket, you get in. Plus, you get all you can eat: hamburger, hot dog, drinks, and chips. Now, there's other things in the concession stand. You don't get all that. Just the hamburgers, the hot dogs, and the chips. You do, you do get as much as you want of those things. But it's a great time there as a family, whether you're coming as an individual, a couple, a family. Great opportunity to invite somebody along, maybe that you kind of want to introduce to the church in kind of an easy way. We mostly behave ourselves out there. So, uh, and invite somebody to come along. So get those tickets today. They are moving. They've already been on sale. Y'all have seen the ad about it, but... We're going to have a great evening uh, that, that uh, July 24th. Secondly, kind of reintroducing our Israel trip. Uh, you might remember we were promoting this back in March and April and May. I, think, I don't remember the date, but I think at the beginning of May, we had an informational meeting, and uh, we were going to be able to take 50 on the trip. Well, when we were at the informational meeting, our sign-up sheet and deposits went over 50 just in the very first informational meeting. So we began a, a, a waiting list, and, and that got up to over 60. So we started work, went back to work there and uh, have been able to enlarge the trip. So we're going to be able to take about 80 to 90 now. And I know there's already high 60s uh, that, that are going. So we've probably got another 20 spots or so. If you're interested in learning more about this, you don't actually have to go to the information meeting. And by the way, if, you've, if you went to the one back in May, you don't have to go again. This is, this is just for people looking at that the first time. So, But we've got a brochure. You can get that out at the desk. And it gives you all the details, pricing, I itinerary, everything. If you're watching online, uh, you can go to our website, thb.church, go to events, go to Israel, you'll see the brochure and uh, get that. And by the way, to our online audience, you don't have to live here uh, among our church or in Virginia to go. Every trip we've taken, people from all over the country have, have met us in Israel on that trip. So, Or maybe if y'all have family members that would like to join, they don't have to start their flight here, here in Virginia. But 
you know, I'll use some of the words of people who went last time. It, it's not only the trip of a lifetime, it's just the moment of a lifetime. Man, to be able to walk where Jesus walked, to, to be in those places where the Bible uh, unfolded is just an incredible opportunity. Karen and I will be teaching uh, along the way at various sites. And, of course, we have professional tour guides with us also. It'll be a great trip. If that's something of interest to you, go out there and check that out. And the information meeting will be uh, on, on July 17th. And we'll give you the where and all that on that day. But hope you can uh, consider that and, and maybe join us. Well, as we've gathered today to worship our Lord, obviously, as we've done that, we've also acknowledged the birth of our our great nation. I don't know about you. I love the United States of America. I think it is a great nation. And even as we say that, it is a great nation that has had some failures, has had some faults. As a matter of fact, some of that failure, some of that fault is quite significant. But here's what I think makes us a great nation is that constitution. Because by that constitution, people, regular people, like, you know, you and me, we can actually change faults. We can actually fix failures. That's, that's what our Constitution allows us to do, and, and I think what makes us so great. I, I, I love the United States of America. But I, I'll tell you, as we've walked through, and it's not like you have to look at the Ten Commandments to look out at your country and be concerned about some things, but as we've walked through these commandments, it's hard not to grieve my nation our, our nation is openly mocking and rebelling God on, on every command, at, at every level, at everywhere you turn. As I said a moment ago, or prayed a moment ago, I mean, I, I want to sing, I want to pray, God bless America. Why would he? Why, why, I, I don't know. Because I'm here? I, 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 I don't know. And so I, 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 I grieve I, I, I grieve how we are mocking him on every command. But when we come to today's command, murder, let me give you a little word. This is where we're going. When we come to today's command, my concern is not so much that we break this command. My, my concern is greater than that. It's, that. it's that the breaking of this command is wired into us as a nation. That it is literally a part of our DNA to, and I'll state the command another way, to devalue human life. I mean, think about this at our, at our birth, at, at our inception. We wanted to be a people, a nation where, and I think this was the operative word, where all, all people, not just royalty, not just landowners, not just a, a certain kind of people, but all people, right, would have the freedom to pursue life and liberty and, and happiness. What an incredible idea that we gathered around, that, that we built a nation on, and yet so devalued human life, we couldn't even see the contradiction of slavery. Or in our more modern history, we couldn't see the contradiction of abortion. You know, they're actually very similar, abortion and slavery. There has been a time, there is currently a time where in our land, the law gives me, an individual, the ability to look at another human being and decide their value. And then based on what I value them as, discard them, sell them, destroy them. 
Our, our law allowed for that in its history. Our law allows for it right now. And that thinking led to some 10 to 15 million people being enslaved in our early history. 65 million people being aborted in our current history. I I don't think there's any other way you can describe America other than as a land polluted with murder. That's not a phrase I came up with for effect. That's God's phrase. Look up here at Numbers 35. You shall not pollute the land. You shall not pollute the land in which you live. For blood pollutes the land. And no atonement. There's no fixing this. There's no making it right. There's no cleaning it up. Except by the blood of the one who shed it. You know the crazy thing is. We... This, we could have kept this pollution from happening, or we could right now today clean up all this pollution if we just listened to God, if we just obey one of his other commands. I don't know if you have ever noticed, I've noticed this in my life, one of my sins always leads to another one of my sins. Very, I don't know about y'all, very few of my sins stand isolated all alone. And so when I break one, then I've got to break another. And if we would not have broken God's very, very simple command, hey, I've given you the gift of sex, one man, one woman, marriage. Do you, do you realize if we honored that, what we just resolved? We just removed 65 million abortions. Hey, you know, you listen to everything going on in the fall of, of Roe v. Wade and what's going to happen now to women and everything. You know, we think we just don't care. They can all die now because we don't care. All that, all that matters is that Roe v. Wade is overturned. You, you know, they say this is for reproductive health, right? Folks, there's nothing more healthy for you or me, male or female, than God's commands. You put one man, one woman in a marriage, a monogamous sexual relationship my whole life, and I, you have just removed every single STD. There's not a single case of sexually transmitted disease in a monogamous couple their whole life. You've just removed every sexually transmitted disease. You just removed a lot of cancers. I bet a lot of cancers y'all didn't even know were directly related to a sexually transmitted disease. And you just removed 65 million abortions. I mean, it's really kind of profound what obeying one single command can do. And here's why. Because when God gives gifts... Those gifts don't bring death and destruction and disease. It's when we take God's gift and we abuse it and think we're God and I can do with the gift what I want that we introduce death and disease. You know, the sad thing is to go into our world today and say, hey, God's got a plan, God's got a fix. One man, one woman, that sounds almost laughable to suggest that, doesn't it? I mean, to say that out in our society, what, what kind of silliness is that? I'm not sure it's not laughable in the church. I'm not sure there's a tremendous difference inside these walls than outside these walls. Because we have entirely as a nation, sold ourselves to sexual freedom. 
And you know, in that freedom, there's an inequality. I, I actually, I mean, if there's no God and that's not actually a person inside the womb, I, I, I actually really get the other side's argument. There, there's an incredible inequality in this freedom because if two people here end up in an unplanned pregnancy, that happens, right? 65 million times. If two people end up in an unplanned pregnancy, the guy too often can walk away. Not going to change his life, not going to cost him anything. Hey, he sometimes may pitch in. But the guy can walk away. The woman can't walk away. Whichever direction she goes, she can't walk away. She now has some very big and heavy things to do. And there will be a cost. And certainly in the terms of our, of our culture, if she keeps that baby, it's all negative things that come from that. Earning potential, education, the kind of job. I mean, freedom. She loses her freedom. Do you know what abortion does? Abortion evens the playing field. Now the woman can walk away just like the man. You know, it's, it's July 4th, right? Big cliche on July 4th. Freedom's not free. Boy, sometimes we say that when we're honoring and remembering our, our military. Other times we say we think of Jesus on the cross. Freedom, freedom isn't free. You know what? Sexual freedom isn't free. It costs a life. Would you look with me today at Exodus chapter 20, second book in your Bible, Exodus chapter 20. If you're new to our church, we are, have been studying. Actually, now I can, I can go beyond weeks and say months. Months we have been looking at commandments. We spent a couple of weeks with the great commandment. We've now started working through the Ten Commandments. We're on, on number six, so we've, we've been at that, just the Ten Commandments, for six weeks now. If you're interested, by the way, and hey, you know, we'll read one of these. I wonder what he said on that, or I wonder what this one is about. Man, you can go online to our, our website and, and pick up old sermons. You can go to Spotify, iTunes. You can get our church app. A lot of ways to get to and listen to these messages or, or share them. Of course, with our app, you also get all the notes that you see on the screen. But today, Exodus chapter 20, let me begin in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Given you. you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. 
You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So we just read a long passage to get to a short command. As a matter of fact, number six is the shortest, or I should say tied with. Number six and number eight are the shortest of our Ten Commandments. There are only four words. You shall not murder. Do you know you can state it positively also with just four words? You shall value life. Let me tell you where, let's see how Jesus adds to this command and brings that idea of valuing life. Look up here at what he said in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Well, we just heard that, didn't we? We, we, we saw, we heard where it was said to the old. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, will be liable to the hell of fire. And that is written right. That's not a typo. The hell of fire. Now, I don't know about you. It seems to me like any thinking person would read that and think, no, no, wait a minute, Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. Are you, are you saying that, that anger, murder, that, it, that it's the same, the same judgment, same punishment? That, that They're not the same, Lord. And, and I think Jesus would come back, and I want to be careful here saying what I think Jesus would say because I'm not him. But I think there's a real simple logic here. You are, you are to so highly value life that you don't even want to get on the highway that leads to murder. You don't even want to try out that on-ramp of anger or revenge or, or bitterness or hate. Don't even get on that road that leads there. Now, I, 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 I would say, oh, oh, okay, okay, Jesus, I get your logic. I, I respect that. Um, and I'm not bragging, but I've been, th- I've been angry thousands of times. And I've been able to stop short of murder. I think I've gotten really good at being angry and not killing anybody. I've got a good track record here. Right? I mean, don't you, don't you feel like, well, okay, I get it, Jesus. But I think I can be angry without murdering. If, if you leave with one thought today, maybe this would be it. The goal is not to not murder. The goal is to be like God. That's your goal, that's my goal, that's our goals as follower of Jesus Christ. My goal is to be like God. And when I am feeding, when I am entertaining thoughts of anger and rage and bitterness and unforgiveness and getting even, when I am entertaining those thoughts, fueling those emotions, they make me entirely like the murderer and nothing at all like God. So what Jesus just said should start to make a lot of sense. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes on in Matthew 5. I mean, in the verses that follow this. And he says, hey, listen, if you're sitting here in worship today, and it comes to your mind that you've got this hate, this anger towards somebody, or actually what he says is, hey, if you think maybe you've caused this hate and anger in somebody, you know somebody out there has this toward you. Go ahead and get up and leave right now. You don't have to wait till the end. And go get that fixed. I, I'm not aware of another place in Scripture where God says, Stop worshiping. That's not your high priority right now. 
go get this fixed. Now, that, that alone, just, just that one statement standing out like that, boy, that should register with us a little bit, right? So, now that we've got this all understood, let's go ahead and talk about when we, when we can kill, right? Because that's what we're here for. When can I kill somebody, Lord? Certainly, there's got to be. I mean, have you looked out there? There's got to be sometimes, right, Lord? And the Lord says, yes, there are. There's three times directly stated in Scripture that killing is justifiable, and one time it would be implied. The three times that is justifiable, oddly enough, that those times are not in my hands. It, it's not in my hands to take that life. It is in the hands of the state to take the life, the government to take the life in that moment. And those three things are capital punishment, the process of law and order, and a justifiable war. Now, I say those three things like it's real clear and simple what they are and when you do them. And it's not. And the Scripture doesn't teach them as simple ideas that you say, oh, this is this and this is that. We're done. No, there's a lot to be understood in capital punishment, law and order, and a justifiable war. I'm not going to go into all that today, but there's three places the Scripture communicates. There's, this is where justifiable killing takes place. The fourth place, probably not a surprise to us, is implied and is self-defense. Now, the reason I say implied, you, you can't, can't go to, if they make you angry, kill them. If, if you feel like they might be a threat to your life, kill, there's no verse like that. I mean, all, all joking aside, even if your life is genuinely, there's no threat that says, please go ahead and kill them. But what we do see in Scripture is a handful of places where somebody in self-defense takes somebody's life and they don't seem to be in, under any judgment for that. It doesn't seem to be any wrong called to that. As a matter of fact, there's a few places in the Old Testament where God actually provides for and protects. He has, he has these things called refuge cities. And they're places where murderers run to until Justice can be done until the law can be sought out. And they will protect those who killed accidentally or in self-defense. So God's actually providing for and protecting in that case. Now back to the state, those three places there. Romans 13 would be one example. There's others, but one example where, I mean, what the verse says is God gives government, God gives the state the sword. He gives them the authority to take life. Now, again, that'd be a place where I would have a question. Lord, did, did, did you not see what some states would do with that authority? Did, 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 you, did, you, did you not? And I think God would say, boy, I'm really talking for God a lot today, aren't I? <laughs> Hopefully some of it's right. Um, I think God would say, yeah, you know, that's not the only place. I've given you all all kinds of things, gifts, directives, and every single one you take and abuse and make a mess out of it. And the result is disease and death. Every brokenness is where you took the good thing, the right thing that I gave you, and you, you handled it in a sinful way. And, and we might say, okay, well, God, you should have foreseen we were going to handle it in a, for sin, a sinful way. And you shouldn't give government the, the right. I mean, folks, you got... You got Countries out there like the Soviet Union that have killed like 70, 80, 90 million people, not in wars, in their own borders to keep power, to keep control. I mean, that seems like a lot of people, Lord. You know, I used to think that made them clearly wicked and us clearly good. 
We're not far behind with a growing tally of 65 million so that we could keep things the way we want it. But, but Lord, what, what, what about that? And, and you know, it, folks, in our sinfulness, bad government is better than no government. You actually will live in a safer community, a safer home, a safer neighborhood in the old Soviet Union or the current Russia. You'd be safer there than in a land where there's anarchy. Where everybody does what is right in their own eyes. You know, we, we, we sell that in music and we sell that on college campuses, live and let live. You know, all the problem is government and corporate and church, all these places that give rules. Man, if we just let everybody live, we wouldn't have all these problems. Now, you, honestly, you have to be smoking dope to buy into that way of thinking. I mean, you, re- you really do. Because guess what? We are not safer without rules and government. It's actually a much... One example, road rage. Okay, so you cut me off. I, you know, my wife will tell you I now feel bound to give you some level of a lesson. I mean, if somebody cuts me off, she says, don't look at them, don't look at them. I just feel like this is a learning moment. You know, can you imagine if there was nothing to restrict me, nothing to say there's right and there's wrong, even when others are wrong? If there was nothing to restrict me, I could do whatever. I could go up there and give them a little bump, run them into the ditch. And honestly, it goes on, right? And I pull out a gun and shoot them. Can you imagine if every one of us could take the law into our own hands? There would be no safety anywhere. You would beg for the evil governments that we've lived under. So, yeah, God says, yeah, I, I foresaw that, and y'all have messed it up in your sin. It's still safer than no government at all. You know, again, I, I can't take on all these issues today, but you take one, capital punishment. A lot of debate in that America. I don't, I don't know how much we debate those other things. We certainly debate uh, capital punishment. And it, it's funny that the, the abortion advocates often look at pro-life advocates and they think they've caught us in a contradiction. While it's not 100%, a whole lot of, pro, of pro-life also are pro-capital punishment. Well, how, how can you be both? Because my God is both. Because it's perfect and it's right. I could take you to a lot of verses. Let me take you to one verse that is pro-life, pro-capital punishment in one simple sentence. Look at this, Genesis 9, 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, his blood shall be shed by man. Capital punishment, right? By the way, it's kind of interesting. Even the Bible kind of breaks down into murder one, murder two, murder three, homicide, uh, manslaughter. The, The Bible does acknowledge there's a lot of ways we kill each other and not all bring the same punishment. But that murder one, that, that homicide, you, you take a life, you lose a life. Now, that's capital punishment. But look at the why. Why is that what required? Because man is made in God's image. There is a value on us. Not because I declared myself valuable. Not because we're the top of the food chain. Not because we think we're the center of the universe. Because I am made in the image of God. There is a value on me. And to attack that image is literally to attack God himself. And it can bring no lesser punishment than the giving up of your own life. It's a real simple logic. This, that of the greatest value 
is protected by the greatest force. Does that make sense? That of the greatest value is protected by the greatest force. So there's a little discussion of when we kill. Now, why we get caught up in the exceptions, we've brought that up on every command. Why we get caught up in the exceptions, we got to remember the operating principle is still pretty clear. Don't kill. And Jesus tightens the screws on that and says, hey, listen, not only are you not to kill, I don't even want you getting angry. I don't even want you going down that road. What about righteous anger? There is such a thing as righteous anger. And you and I can be righteously angry. The problem is after about three seconds, we're no longer righteous. And I'm not kidding with the three seconds. Our ability to handle anger rightly is, well, we're batting really low on that. So Jesus says, don't even, don't even get on that road. You're not safe there. So there we go. But we're, we're basically done. We're going to go home now. But on the way to the car, my, my, I mean, this is, this is one command, not, not all of us, but I'm guessing a whole, whole bunch of us, north of 90%, are going to be able to walk to our car and go, well, okay, I, I get what you're saying, but I haven't killed anybody. All right, at the end of the day, the command says, don't murder. Well, I haven't, so, whew, at least in one of these, I'm in the good. <laughs> Remember, I said, I said a moment ago, if you take away one thing, take away this. The goal is to not, not to not murder. The goal is to be like God. And God is so much more than not a murderer. Right? Understand the goal. God is a whole lot more than not a murderer. He is the giver of life. He is the promoter of life. He is the protector of life. It is demanded of me that I be pro-life. Are you? You know, obviously we've come through five decades where to ask somebody, are you pro-life? It's just very simply, that's a political question, right? It's a political question. It says something about how I vote, something about what I believe about one single issue, abortion. Well, obviously the question should mean those things. It is a political question. And it has everything to do with abortion. But we can't stop there, right? You know, whatever is in that womb, at the very minimum, if you don't even buy into that there's a human being there. And, and it, 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 of course, that used to be the argument in the 80s, right? We'd call it a fetus and developing cells. You know, today they don't use any word. You don't use the word baby. You don't word, use the word human. You don't, you don't use the word life. You don't use any word. You just stay focused on one thing, the woman. And that is a value to stay focused on the woman. But there is a second There is a second human being here. And at the very minimum, whatever you believe is in that womb is potential human life made in the image of God. I have to be pro-life, but I can't stop at the womb because everything that comes out of that womb is, in fact, made in the image of God. Red, yellow, black, and white. Every single one is precious in his sight. So what does it mean to be pro-life? Well, let's, you know, here it is July 4th. We're thinking about the Constitution and America, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If I'm pro-life, you know, I think of Jesus' words, I have come that you might have life and have it 
By the way to go. You almost have an incredible pastor. Wow, I'm impressed. With your pastor, that is. <laughs> Man, Jesus, that's, that's pro-life. I've come to give life and give it abundantly. Then that's what I'm to be about. And if I look around and there's people in the classroom with me or at, at work with me or in my neighborhood that are not experiencing abundant life, that, that, that are missing the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Being somebody that pro-life means I want to make a difference there where I can. And it's not just waiting till it bumps into me. I'm actually sensitive to where an individual or a people may really not be getting to the life, liberty, and happiness. What can I do to promote that? What can I do to be like God to promote life? Say, well, I can't fix America. I can't fix America. I'm not asking you to fix America. I'm not asking you to fix any problems. I'm asking you to be like the God you cling to and promote life in the womb and every single life that comes from that womb. You know, being pro-life can't just be a statement we make about ourselves. It has to have actions this week. Look out there, folks. We live in a culture of death. We need to be thinking really concretely, where am I speaking life and life abundantly? Let's pray. Father, would you guide each one of us this week to understand from the political realm to the personal realm, with individuals to people groups, from one issue to the next, may, may we think and pray about what it means to be pro-life. And may we each one want to be used by you to bring a promotion of abundant life, life in Christ to people. Lord, don't let us be overwhelmed by the mountain of impossibility here. Let us see the one that we can be pro-life with. Father, we need your help and we need your forgiveness. We are very much a part of a land that is polluted with murder. Would you forgive our sins? Lord, I haven't killed anybody. But I generate thoughts and sometimes those thoughts become conversations and they, they generate the fuel of murder in the culture and the world that I live in. And I ask your forgiveness for that. And Lord, I don't want to just not murder somebody. I, w- I want to be a promoter and a giver and a protector of life. I want to be just like you. I want to be just like you. Help me, Holy Spirit, to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.